night, the glory of your presence. When, when we have an encounter with Almighty God, and Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the peace that we have in that, the hope, the joy, the love that we, that we feel, that we absorb in that as we glory in your presence. Lord, we thank you for this, this opportunity, this, this desire of yours to reveal yourself to us in this way, this very specific, unique way as we gather here together tonight in your name. And Lord, we want to hear from you tonight as we open your word. Lord, I pray that as we continue to study together tonight, that, that you would meet each one of us right where we are, whatever specific thing that we're going through, that you'd have a word for, for each of us, that we would grow in you, that we would understand more of you and more of what you desire for us. Bless our time together now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Take out your Bibles and them up to 2 Samuel. You know, there really is something very unique about glorying in the presence of God, about, about doing that together. There's something, there's something unique about the body of Christ when we gather together in his presence. I'm, uh, I'm continually amazed <laughs> that Almighty God would want to meet with us here in that way, would want to share with us in this way. Is anybody else amazed by that at times? <laughs> that he wants to speak to us, that he wants to, that he wants to share his heart with us. lost in that sometimes. Second Samuel. Chapter 14. Actually, we did not finish chapter 14 last week. We're, we're looking at uh, this, this chapter in the life of David, this, this latter part of David's life. We, we started this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at when he, when he sinned with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. And, and then the, what came about from that, being confronted with his sin, confessing his sin, and in that receiving the forgiveness of him, his sin. But as we started to discuss last week and we look through this, there are consequences for our sin. There are consequences for the decisions that we make. And as it was pointed out to David, it says, because of this deed, this is back in chapter 12, because of this deed, you've given occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Nathan said that, that the child that, that she was pregnant with was going to die, but he also said a little earlier, the sword will never depart from your house, indicating even that, that this sin that he has partaken in, taking another man's wife, this will be replayed to him in a much more public fashion. This was prophesied that this, these things were going to be coming upon David's life. We looked at last week as we... As we 
continued into this, that it, it, it happened after that, back in chapter 13, um, that uh, uh, one of the, David's firstborn son, Amnon, lusted after one of David's daughters from a different mother, Tamar, and seduced her, or brought her into this situation, raped her, and her brother, Absalom, was waiting for David to do something about it, and he didn't. So he took matters into his own hands, and he killed his own brother, Amnon, and he then fled and ran away. And that is where we find ourselves now as we continue into chapter, finishing up chapter 14, because again, the prophet comes to David, or has, has a, a woman come to David and to share with him this, this parable and convicting David about leaving his son out in exile and to go bring, bring his son back. So we pick up in verse 21. Then the king, David, said to Joab, Behold, now I will surely do this thing. Go, therefore, and bring the young man Absalom. So, not the prophet, I'm sorry with that. Joab, one of his generals, put this other woman up to this to go and speak to David and to, to bring him this message to go, that, and he fell under that, he understood what was being said, and now he tells Joab, okay, go get Absalom. Joab fell on his face, verse 22, to the ground, prostrated himself, and blessed the king, and said to Joab, and Joab said, today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, O Lord my king, in that the king has performed the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. However, the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom turned to his own house and did not see the king's face. David said it's okay for him to return. It's okay for him to come back, but it's not okay for him to come and see me. We see as we've discussed and we've looked at that and talked about the fact, and if any of you Bible students been around for a while, one of the descriptions of David is a man after God's own heart. However, David is still a man. A man after God's own heart, but not a man with God's heart. And I point that out here because we see David acting in a way that our Lord does not. Notice first what he says in verse 21, Bring the young man, Absalom. He doesn't say, go bring my son. There's something that stands now in between. He's, gonna, he's going to, perhaps if you would, forgive and not forget. Or, or partially pardon, but not fully allow. And then he says, when he, comes, when he comes back, you can let him come, but he is not allowed into my presence. Compare that with our Heavenly Father that Jesus describes to us in the prodigal son. The one who went off and took everything and, and went off after a life chasing after sin, but then after he'd lost everything, blown everything, realized, you know, if I could just go back and be a slave in my father's house, it's better than being where I am now. And we see the heart of the father in the prodigal son that while the son was still far off, coming over the, coming over the ridge, the father ran out to greet him embracing him as a son, not a young man, his son. Not, you can go over there and serve in the, in the, in the back 40. <laughs> no, you come and sit at the table with me. That's the heart of our father. That's the heart of God. And I underscore that because I know, I know, because I've talked with many, that 
feel that because of sin in their life that God could never forgive them. Even Christians, okay, I believe that, that eventually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in heaven because Jesus paid for my sin, but God, God wants nothing to do with me now because of sin that I've, fall, that I've done or I, that I've fallen into these areas. That is not God. If you're here tonight and you're feeling like that, I remember taught my wife one of the things that she used to tell me about when she was, she was growing up. There was this picture that, of Jesus in the room, and, in her grandmother's room, and she was in there, and she always thought that Jesus had this angry look on his face. And she'd be praying, and she'd look up, and, you know, and she'd be praying, and she'd look up, and hoping one time she'd look up and see him smiling. And so many people feel that way. You come, the, David wrote, the, the, the sacrifice that God desires is a broken heart. Are you broken over your sin? Then simply confess your sin. John tells us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His desire is to restore us into that relationship, that, that closeness. Again, David, still a man, a man forgiven. We're going to see as the story unfolds, he, there's, he, he makes a lot of great moves, still makes, still makes some bad moves. Now, it tells us in verse 25, now in all Israel there was no one as handsome as Absalom, so highly praised from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. And I, I, I underscore that because we're going to see in a few few verses if we get there tonight, that all of Israel turns to Absalom as king. They turn their back on David and turn to Absalom. And I look at this and I say, why would they do that after David killing his thousands, tens of thousands, and, and all of this stuff? They're, they're champion because that's just like our flesh, to go back to looking at the things of the flesh the outward appearance, and again, God tells us God doesn't look at those things. He looks at the heart, and we're going to see, we're, Absalom's heart's going to be revealed shortly. Verse 26, when he cut the hair of his head, and it was the end of the year when he cut it, once a year, good, good idea to get a haircut for some of us, for it, was, for it was heavy on him, so he cut it. He weighed the hair. Now, that's different. To get a haircut's one thing, to weigh it. 200 shekels by the king's weight. That's roughly five or six pounds. Five or six pounds of hair. Jerk. <laughs> to Absalom. <laughs> we'll see it's his downfall, though. There are, there are benefits to being bald, amen? All right, all right. We're going to find out. It doesn't pay off for Absalom, but in a couple weeks. All right, to, to Absalom, there were born three sons and one daughter, whose name was Tamar, here we do see a good side of his heart. His sister Tamar, he takes her in because of what his, his brother Amnon had done to her, disgracing her. She would spend the rest of her life cast out as, as no one will marry her now because of what's taken place. He takes her in. So we do see that heart. He named his, one of his daughters after her. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. Now Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. Two years living in the same town as his dad, who's the king, doesn't see his face. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, 
but he would not come to him. So he's trying to get a hold of Joab, say, all right, you got us, you got me this far. See if you can get me to see my dad. So he went, sent the second time, but he would not come. So he's calling out to Joab. Joab's not returning his text. He's not calling back. Therefore, he said to his servant, see, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set it on fire. So Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said, why did your servant set my field on fire? Worked. Don't recommend it, especially if you know Joab, but there must be something special here because he doesn't kill him. Absalom answered Joab, behold, I sent for you saying, come here, that I may send you, send you to the king to say, why have I come from Geshur? It would have been better for me still there. Now therefore, let me see the king's face, and if there is in iniquity in me, let him put me to death. I mean, he was in a place, he was staying with his, his in-laws, things were okay. He's saying, I should have stayed there. If you're going to not, not even let me be a part of things, not even let me see you. So when Joab came to the king and told him, he called for Absalom. Thus he came to the king and prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So there's this reunion. We don't hear much more about it, what's taking place here. We're going to, again, see the heart of Absalom. His heart is not one to be reconciled with his father. This is all a positioning tool for him. David's heart, no doubt, I think, probably relieved, probably felt like he was doing something righteous in this whole thing. Maybe, I, I, I don't know, it doesn't tell us. But I, I have a feeling, because we're going to see David's heart for Absalom in the chapters to come too. He loved his son. And to now have this reunion, and it says that he kissed him, as we get into chapter 15, we see Absalom, his conspiracy, his heart is revealed that it's really a selfish and wicked heart. And we can look at, I mean, it, 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 Dr. Phil would probably say, you know, but look at his parents, look at the upbringing he had, look at everything that went on. I mean, you know, his, his, his home life, I mean, can you, can you blame the guy? Bottom line is, we all come from sinful parents. Since, since Adam and Eve, every, every child has been born to sinful parents. And we look, Adam and Eve, the perfect example, they're two boys, Cain and Abel. They're, there have never been two closer than those two. They're, they're, they're bloodline, if you would, absolutely pure, nothing tainted in, in that. I mean, and their, their situation that they're growing up in, identical. And they couldn't have grown further apart, one loving the Lord, one loving himself. So, yes, we all can point to other things in our past, our upbringing. I, I can, though my parents are sinful, I had an, an enormously blessed childhood growing up with wonderful parents. But I know that's not true for everyone. But we're all accountable for ourselves. As born-again believers, we are new creations in Christ. We have been forgiven much. We need to forgive and move on in that. Could have, Absalom could easily point the finger, but God, we will see, holds Absalom personally responsible for his decisions that he makes. So now it came about after this, Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. So he wasn't in a chariot and a horse because he wanted to get anywhere quick. He's got 50 guys running in front of him. This is all a parade. This is all a big look at me and my hair. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate 
And when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And he would say, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. He would meet people as they were coming into the city gate of Jerusalem, and they were coming in to bring their their problems, their things that they needed to discuss to the judges, to the courts, and then those things would be eventually, if they were big enough, brought up to King David for him to look at, to, to him to decide over if there was a big enough thing that couldn't be decided at the lower levels. And Absalom was intercepting them all and, and making friendships with them, trying to get on their level. Hey, what city are you from? And, and engaging in conversation. And then, man, you, you have a really good, situ- really tough situation. You have a great case. It's too bad nobody will listen to it. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land, and then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me, and I would give him justice. And when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hands and take hold of his hands and kiss him, like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that to me. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just like you, embracing them, showing, showing this love. Again, all a front. In this manner, verse 6, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. His, his line was, man, wouldn't it be great if the king cared about you? But obviously he doesn't. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't have time for you. But that's not true. We see in just the previous chapter as we were looking that Joab, this woman came with this case about her, her son that was killed, right? Remember? And David listened to it and he presided over it and he said, I will personally protect you. I will personally make sure. Totally misrepresenting the king. But it falls on that, that ear that's willing to listen. Yeah, you know what? Looking at my situation and the, the king doesn't care about me. The king doesn't have time for me. I mean, he's over all of the kingdom. And the enemy loves that toy to toy with us that way too. Jesus doesn't have time for you. He's not, he, he's not listening to you. Come to me. I'll listen. He's holding out on you. Why would he allow this to happen to you? Why would he, why would he do this? Why this started back in the Garden of Eden, talking with Eve. Did God really say that? Man, he must not love you like he says he does. He doesn't have time for you. He's holding out on you. It's a, it's a lie. <laughs> the king of kings loves you so much he was, good, he was willing to die for you, and he has all the time you need. He has an ear for everything. He wants to be involved in every decision that you make. We shortchange that all the time. We say, well, okay, I believe that God has this big will for my life. Okay, I'll buy into that. But individual decisions, really? Yes. Yes. He wants to be involved in those things. I mean, I, 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 I may take this too far. You can argue with me if, if you want. But my wife cares about how I dress. She, she made sure my shirt was ironed tonight and even drove it over here special since I forgot it. 
Do you think God cares whether you wore a red shirt or a blue shirt to the interview that you went on? Okay, let's not get silly over it. Why not? Why not? Did you ask him? <laughs> I, I don't want to make this trivial, but I don't think it is. He wants to be involved in everything. And we shortchange him and what he wants to do in our lives because we think he can't possibly care about that. He's got way bigger things to deal with than this and everything and all of that. Yeah, he does, but he wants to be involved in this too. And you know what? He can. He's almighty God. There's something about the transcendence of God that because we don't understand it, we say, well, it can't possibly be true. He's so far above us that we can't, we can't understand that. But that's great. This is, this is one of those things. This is, I'm getting way off on a rabbit trail here, but this is what God's been, this cool thing that we, you know, my coffee time with him in the morning. It tells us in his word that a little over 6,000 years ago, he created something that started the whole thing. And we look at that, we say, what's the first thing that it's recorded that he created? And people say light, let there be light. That's not the first thing it tells us he recorded. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, a little over 6,000 years ago, he created time. He created time so that you and I could exist in it. And then all the rest of the creation was so that while we're existing in it, we can enjoy it. And we can, throughout this time of enjoying it, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. We can learn more about him through this entire time, never being able to possibly grab a hold of it. And while we exist in the natural, we still can't understand the natural. I mean, this whole idea, quantum physics and all of these other things, the more we understand, the more we realize all that we don't understand about the natural that we live in. All right, now here's where my mind gets blown away. He doesn't exist in the natural alone. He lives, exists in the supernatural before he created time, did he exist? Yes. Where? Outside of time. All right. And, and did he start creating then? No, he's a creator. So he was creating outside of time stuff that you and I can't possibly understand. Paul said, if I told you, <laughs> you'd blow up. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't handle it. You can't handle the truth. You, so that... That's what's waiting for us outside of this. What, forever we're going to be exploring this and, and God's going to continue to reveal this to us and all of that. That's the God who cares about every detail in your life. All right, back on the road. The enemy wants to tell you, though, differently. He wants to, he wants to tell you he doesn't have time for you. You blew it. That you call yourself a Christian, and you just did that, thought that, said that. Again, he wants to wash all of that away and say, come back. Let's, let's get back to this every moment of your life thing. Verse 7, now it came about at the end of 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. Now, that does not mean that for 40 years this has now been going on. That would make David like a hundred. What it's probably stating there is this is the, in the 40th year of David's reign, 
in, in that time frame, or there's, it's four years after this and it was a transcription error. To me, it seems to flow, okay, at the end of 40 years, we're talking David's reign, this is when it's taking place, but the, the key is here, Absalom comes to David and says, hey, things are going good now, we're all, you know, you and me, man, we're back, things are good. Hey, I want to head out to Hebron for a little bit. Remember, Hebron is where David first became king. He says, I want to head out there. I, got some, I have some business to square up with the Lord. I promised him that I would do this if he allowed me to come back to Jerusalem. So, verse 8, for your servant vowed a vow while I was living in Geshur and Aram, saying if the Lord would bring me back to Jerusalem, I'd go serve the Lord. The king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. The problem is, peace is the last thing Absalom has in mind, as we will find out. But this is the last conversation that David will have with his son. Last words he says to his son, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron, but Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you, will, then you shall say, Absalom is king in Hebron. So all of these people, this stuff that he's been working and talking through all of this stuff, and people building the support of all of the people, everybody's saying, so he sent spies out. All right, now when you hear this, Absalom is king. Then 200 men went with Absalom from Jerusalem who were invited and went innocently for they did not know anything. So Absalom's trying to build some credibility with what he's doing. The 200 leaders, 200 men from Jerusalem, the king's men going with him to Hebron, they don't have any idea what's going on. But this, to add to the whole thing, verse 12, Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, Gilo, while he was offering the sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Now this, verse 12, is, is an important verse, and if we just read over it, might miss something in here, Ahithophel. Who's Ahithophel? Do you remember from a couple of weeks ago? We look back. Didn't write the note down where it was. That was a mistake. Ahithophel, we see in a previous chapter and in chapters to come, Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather, David's close friend. You remember when we talked about that? That, that when he was told this is Ahithophel's granddaughter, he should have immediately, amongst all the other stop signs in the process, but now 10 years later, Ahithophel still is bitter, still carries bitterness and hatred in his heart towards David. We see, just jumping ahead, verse 31, we see Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. This is David's friend, counselor. Granted, David sure didn't treat him that way when he did, but this again, 10 years later, been carrying this bitterness. Absalom carrying this anger, bitterness, towards his father for not, probably not taking care of the problem with his brother and, and sister. Partners in, in bitterness are powerful but extremely unhealthy. <laughs> Getting together with other people who are bitter, it may, it may feel good when you start talking and saying, yeah, they did this to me too, and yeah, that might feel good at the moment, but it's extremely unhealthy. God will defend David as we will see in this. He's dealing with David. But David's repented. 
Hebrews chapter 12 tells us in verse 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. See to it that no root of bitterness. Pursue peace. Pursue. That means to go after it. And it's an imperative command in the Greek. That means that it's continual and it's not optional. Pursue peace. Peace requires pursuing peace. Pursuing anything requires action. Waiting for them to come to you to ask for forgiveness, that's not action. If somebody has done something to you, something has, that has caused you to have this even beginning of bitterness, deal with it now. Go to that person. Talk to them. And if, if there's still a problem after that, it is still up to you to forgive them regardless. That's, that's what we're called to do. Paul, again, writing to the church in Colossae, says, so as to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. Just as the Lord forgave you. Those things in there, I know we hate it, but it's in there. <laughs> We're to forgive the same way. That means as soon as they come begging and groveling and licking your boots, that's when you forgive them. <laughs> no. Because that's not how it happened with us. We forgive but we hold it right here all the time and remind them continually. That's not how God forgave us. Bitterness has, has deep roots. <laughs> I heard it this way today. Bitterness has the shelf life of a Twinkie. <laughs> so you got to give it up. Bitterness has deep roots. If we just cut it off at the top, just like a weed, it keeps growing back. We need an excavator. we got to get down and get it out. No root of bitterness. So this conspiracy, I mean, it catches fire, no doubt, with these, these innocent ones. And then somebody like Ahithophel joining the ranks, that word travels fast, and we see that this just takes off. Verse 13, then a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. David said to all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, arise and let us flee, for otherwise none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So David reacts and responds. He doesn't stay. We're going st to stick around. We're going to fight this thing out. No, we're going to we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get out. They're going to no doubt come to fight. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to fight with that. We need to get out. Then the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king chooses. So he could have said, We're going to fight this thing. But he says, No. And we'll see as he, we read through this. His heart was, We're going to trust the Lord in this. If this is the Lord's hand to remove me as king, then so be it. If it is not, then God will take care of it. So the king went out and all his household with him, but the king left 10 concubines to keep his house, concubines, 10 of his, 
like sub wives again. That was a problem with David. He had all of these wives, and he left ten of them behind. The king went out, and all the people with him, and they stopped at the last house. They're heading out of the city. That's basically to say they're they they paused there as they're leaving the city. Now all his servants passed on beside him. All the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, 600 men who had come with him from Gath passed on before the king. Just says that all of Israel has turned against David and gone after Absalom. And here we see 600 men from Gath, Philistines who had followed David from that from that, that time, followed David through the wilderness difficulties, followed that and stuck with David. And here we see them still sticking with him as he is leaving. They saw something in David that says, I'm going to follow that man and make his God my God. And they followed him even through this. Then the king said to Atai, the Gittite, why will you go with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile. Return to your place. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander with us while I go where I will? Return and take back your brothers. Mercy and truth be with you. So he's, try, you know, he's just taking his people with him, and all of these others are following in this leader. He said, you, dude, you just got here. Why, why bother? You just go back and settle in. I'm sure everything will be fine. But, verse 21, Atai answered the king and said, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely therefore my Lord the king may be, wherefore for death or for life, there also your servants will be. We're not leaving you. We're gonna follow you. If it, if it costs us our lives, we're gonna follow you. You're, you're our leader. We're, we're behind you the whole way. Therefore David said to Atai, go and pass over. So Atai the Gittite passed over with all his men and all the little ones, little ones who were with him. While all the country was weeping with a loud voice, all the people passed over. The king also passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. So now they've gone out of Jerusalem, passed over the Kidron, uh, the brook Kidron, and start now heading up the Mount of Olives, the other side, outside of Jerusalem. Now behold, Zadok also came and all the Levites with him carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. So the, the Levites, the priests, they take the Ark and they say, well, David's leaving, we're gonna follow. And they set down the Ark of God and Abiathar came up until all the people had finished passing from the city. The king said to Zadok, return the Ark of God to the city. And here it is, again in his heart, he's saying it. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. It's David's heart. This is, if this is God dealing with me ultimately as, as, and he's not fighting it, as I deserve, as, as consequences for the sin in my life. If God chooses to deal with me this way, so be it. He's holy, he's righteous, but if I find favor in his sight, if he chooses to extend grace to me and bring me back, then I'll be back. Great outlook. King also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, your son Ahimaz and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I am going to wait at the, at the fjords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So as a seer, that's not like a, you know, as a prophet, 
as one who, you know, hears from the Lord and sees what is going on, as information might come to you, Lord speaking to you about things or things that you are seeing, come to me, here's where I'm going to be. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar returned the ark of God to Jerusalem and remained there. No doubt, praying, going before the Lord, seeking the Lord in it. David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. So he's ascending up over the hill to head out into the wilderness. And his head was covered and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. Now someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Now we'll see in a little bit, Ahithophel was... As a, as a counselor to David, an extremely wise man, one who heard from the Lord and, 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 and one that brought great advice to David. So David said, O oh Lord, I pray the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. <laughs> Lord, let, if he gives counsel to Absalom, let it be foolishness. It happened as David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, and no doubt David worshipping, knowing his heart, that behold, Hushai, the archite, met with him with his coat torn and dust on his head. He had heard what was happening, and he's mourning and grieving over this. We see in, in 1 Chronicles, when, we talk, when it's talked of Hushai, that he was a close friend of David's, a counselor, but, but more than a counselor, somebody who was like his his intimate, close, personal friend counselor that he shared things with that he didn't with others. That's the word that's used there in that. And an elder of David's, an older man that, that David confided in and that he gave great counsel to. He's coming now and coming to meet David again, grieving over all that is happening. And David said to him, if you pass over with me, then you will be a burden to me. You're, you're an old man. I can't, I can't take care of you. We're fleeing, we're running but if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I've been to your father's servant in the past, so I will now be your servant, then you can thwart the counsel of Ahithophel for me. You can, you can be one on the inside and you can still continue to, to stand up for me. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So it shall be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall report to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Ahimaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send me everything that you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So Absalom now comes in. David has fled. Absalom comes in. Chapter 16. Now when David had passed a little beyond the summit, he's crossed over now, behold, Ziba the servant of Mephibosheth. Now Mephibosheth, remember, the son of Jonathan that David extended kindness to when he was trying to find out, is there any, anybody living, any descendant of Saul's that is living, direct descendant, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. So he welcomes him in as his own son. He lets him eat at the table, the king's table. He gives him this property and all of this land, treats him very well. Ziba is the servant of Mephibosheth, and he comes running to meet up with, with a couple of with the saddled donkeys, 200 loaves of bread, 200 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a jug of wine, coming up with all of this stuff for David and the people that are fleeing. And the king said to Ziba, why do you have these? 
And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride, and the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for whoever is faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? Where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. He said Mephibosheth stayed back because he's going to take advantage of this so that, the, that he can take his rightful spot as the descendant of Saul. Absolute, total lie. We're going to find out that Ziba is, is an opportunist. He is... This, he's made up this fabrication. It is a total lie about Mephibosheth. As a matter of fact, again, we will see. Mephibosheth's heart is broken, worried to death for David. But here, an opportunist, going to try to take advantage of the situation, and it works. So the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I prostrate myself. Let me find favor in your sight, O Lord, the king. So he's having, a, he's having a pretty rough day. Finds out his son is this conspiracy. He's leaving he's, as, he's, as he leaves, all of this stuff. Now he finds out Mephibosheth, a lie, but he's thinking, even this one that I've extended all this kind of to, he's now abandoned me. Can it get any worse? Don't ever ask that. Because <laughs> yes, it can. Verse 5. When David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, a descendant or a relative of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, who came out cursing continually as he came. Now, that doesn't mean he's swearing using vulgarity. He is speaking curses against David. He is saying, May the, you know, the Lord curse you, David. He threw stones at David and all the servants of the king and all the people and all the mighty men who were at his right hand and his left. Thus Shimei said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. Now the Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom and behold you are taken in for your own evil for you are a man of bloodshed. We, we see that he's, he's like on the other side of a ravine from them as he's shouting these things and throwing stones. Now the throwing of the stones was not like he was really trying to thinking that he was going to hurt them, or that was, a, that was an insult. To throw a stone at someone or at a group of people was saying, you're a dog. Dogs ran wild, dogs ran in packs, and that's how you'd get rid of them. You'd throw rocks at them, and you'd scatter the pack by throwing rocks at them. That was saying, I think you're a dog. I think you're a pack of dogs, as he's throwing these stones and shouting these curses. Just a... A note on this, don't ever ascribe to God judgment that you have no idea of based on someone's personal experience. Don't assume that the reason that someone is going through what they're going through is because God is dealing with them or judging them on a certain case or a certain instance. I, I hear things and it, it grieves me when I hear it. I, uh, there's... There's a pastor, a Calvary Chapel pastor, who, whose daughter 
died in his arms a couple years ago. She had an asthma attack and died in his arms, five-year-old daughter. And somebody had the audacity to say, that's God dealing with him because of his tattoos and the fact that, you know, this type of stuff. I said, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> but aside from that, it's easy, though, when it's somebody that's, that's hurt us. Again, going back to that bitterness, that root. It might not be a flowering weed right now, but that root is there. And when we hear that they're going through something, it's like God's judging them for the way they treated me. Be careful. Be so careful to ascribe to God something that might not have anything. That, the, the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Things happen to people that because we live in a fallen world, not necessarily because God is judging, but that's what this man is shouting out at David. God's judging you, you man of bloodshed. David had nothing to do with Saul's death. So we, we saw as we studied through that, David protected his life on a couple of occasions. He could have taken it and he didn't. Guy doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. Then, then Abishai, so, so here we see this, this guy, you know, judging, kicking the guy while he's down. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Abishai, one of his, one of his warriors that's with him, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. I know how to shut this guy up. <laughs> this coward that's over there shouting all this stuff, throwing rocks. I bet you I could get over there before he could run away. Let me bring his head back for you. But, verse 10, how many would have taken him up on it after the day you're having? You don't have to show me your hands. It's a great idea. But the king said, what have I to do with you, O son of Zariah? If he curses... And if the Lord has told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my son who came out from, the, from, from me, my own son, my own seed who has come out from me, seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite, let him alone and let him curse. For the Lord has told him, perhaps, the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. So David and his men went on the way and Shimei went along on the hillside parallel with them. And he went and he cursed and he cast stones and he threw dust at him. Verse 14, the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary and he refreshed himself there. Couple of minutes, couple of things here. We all know people who are going through difficult times. We all know people who are going through tragedies in their life. And we see an outline of several people here, and just a just a question who are we to the people that we know? that are going through these difficulties. Are we, are we a tie? The faithful one that says, hey, I'll stand by you no matter what. 
even if it costs me, I'm not going anywhere. Are we, are we like Zadok, who goes and prays and goes before the Lord and goes and seeks, seeks the Father's face on behalf of that person? Are we Hushai, that, that friend, that, that close counsel, the one who's willing to listen? Are we Ziba, the opportunist? Take advantage of the situation. What, what, how can I benefit from this? Man, while they're down here, I could, I, could, I could sneak in and take this. Are we Shimei, the judge? The one who's quick to say, I know why that's happening to them. Kick them while they're down. Throw dust on them. Are we Abishai? <laughs> I'll cut their head off for you. Too close too emotionally attached that we give bad advice. A lot, of, a lot of things to examine as people are going through that. I think obviously I know where we all want to be, but as we're going through those things, it's, it's not a bad inventory to take. This person, this person I love, this person who's hurt me, this, these others, how, how should I be handling this? Who should I be to them? And secondly, we've all probably been through a difficulty or in one or about to go into one. You might be today, man, life's never been better. <laughs> Everything is, is fantastic. Praise God every second. But you don't know what tomorrow has. You don't know what, what is about to come about you don't know what that phone call is going to have. You don't know what that, the, the next day does, holds. But you know who does know? God knows. And we can learn a lot. Like I said, David's made some, made some big mess ups. But we do know, again, though his heart is not God's heart, he was desiring to have God's heart. That's, that's always where it's circled back around with David, was he was pursuing God. And he records for us Psalm 62 in this time. And I just want to read this as we close in a couple of minutes. Psalm 62. Some of this you maybe say, oh, I know that psalm. But now you know the context with which it's written in. Verse 1, Psalm 62. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, I shall not be greatly shaken. All of what we just read through, that David went through, he said, I will not be shaken. Like Paul said, none of these things move me. Why? Because I'm on the rock. I have my firm foundation. How long will you assail me, O oh man? wonder if Shimei was in thought there. That you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, mouth but inwardly they curse. Verse 5, my soul, because of all of that, my soul, speaking to his own self. And that's okay at times. <laughs> my soul, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from him. 
He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. Notice the personalness of that statement, but look at the transition. On God, my salvation and my, and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him all times, O people. Notice it changes. He was talking to his own soul. He strengthened himself in the Lord, my strength, my rock, my salvation. Now listen, people, he says. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Once we get that taken care of and we are in that position, we are, God wants to use us as a testimony. God wants to use us as an encouragement. God wants to use us as these other people to come alongside and walk through these things together. Men of low degree are only vanity and men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. All of this stuff, no matter what man, what can man do to us? Do not trust in oppression. Do not vainly hope in robbery if riches increase. Do not set your heart upon them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. Strengthening himself in the Lord, encouraging others as they go through. Again, I pray you never have a day like David, but you might. And if we do, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. He saw it coming. If you know someone who's going through that, be that friend, be that support, be on your knees praying. We don't have time to finish the chapter, so we'll pick it up there next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the fact that we know that you are with us every moment. We know that it is your desire to hear our prayer. We don't have to beg you to listen. We know, too, as we come, that you hear our prayer. You're eager to hear and to answer. You want to be involved in every decision that we make and every step that we take. Lord, we can't understand why or how that happens, but we embrace the truth of it. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be a blessing in other people's lives. So Lord, use us in those lives where people are hurting. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.